My name is Andrew Tan, and this is As Asians. Every episode, we talk to a different awesome Asian professional covering topics such as navigating careers, the Asian identity, and ways on figuring out this thing called life. We hope the stories and advice from this podcast can inspire and help you to chart out your own path. Here's a snippet from today's guest. I would say the, the main takeaway is that never limit yourself to like one particular thing because I see people do that all the time where you know, they let their career define who they are and so they don't really pursue anything outside of that. Yeah, you, you shouldn't do that. You should pursue uh, as much things as you, you know, possibly uh, fit or possibly can and you know you don't have to become professional about it but you know you could be like a software developer and also like a, like a guitarist in a band. That was John Kim. A multi-talented individual who is a data scientist, fashion photographer, entrepreneur, and adjunct professor at Columbia University. We talk about how he got started with his multiple pursuits and how he manages his time. I hope you enjoy this conversation with John Kim. All right, on today's episode of As Asians, we probably have the most multifaceted guest that we've ever had. We have uh, John Kim, who has a PhD in machine learning. Uh, also shoots fashion photography and does a lot more stuff, but I'll let John introduce himself. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Um, really excited to you know be on the podcast today. Um, so yeah, um, thanks. I guess multifaceted would probably one word that I could describe myself because I, I try to do a little bit of everything. So yeah, do you want to kind of give a bit of backstory first on you know how you got started in machine learning slash computer science? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. I went to college at Arizona State um, studying math. Um, I, I guess I would always say of a typical Asian where it's like, you know, your parents kind of grill you doing math and then tutoring uh, like growing up. And so I've always kind of really been drawn towards math. And so I, I studied math at ASU. Um, and then at the same time, I started kind of fiddling with a lot of uh, data that I've, I've gathered randomly online. Um, and so it wasn't really called data science back then. It was more of like, you know, basic regression or analytics. But uh, as I you know went through undergrad, uh, I learned that, hey, you know, it's starting to become a big thing. Um, and this was like a long time ago, right? This was like almost 10 years ago. So machine learning was just barely starting. And so I guess I was kind of fortunate enough to be right at the cusp of it as it becomes more you know popular mm-hmm. and used. Yeah, so after undergrad, I went to uh, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign uh, to study computer science. Spent about six years, um, six long years down in Champaign. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was, it was good. Um, and yeah, so that's, that, that's really kind of how I started. Uh, I also originally just wanted to become a professor. So I didn't go into my PhD just to you know, have a PhD. Mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of teach at a university and... Uh, be in academia. Yeah. And you're actually also an adjunct professor now with Columbia, right? Yeah. So <laughs> in a way, yeah, even though I don't consider that like my real job, but in a way, like um, I love teaching and I'm, I'm glad and I'm fortunate enough to be able to continue doing so. Yeah. So right now, I think your full-time job, you're working at Craft and Data Science. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm currently a staff data scientist at Craft. Um, so, you know, big company that a big food company that makes ketchup and mac and cheese and you know, Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. But so how does the, the data part of it go with like, I mean, people imagine like craft is like food. So how do you actually use data for this kind of company? 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, when people think of data science, you know, they think of more of like the, the tech companies, like the Google or the, the Facebook of the world that collects like these massive amount of data. Um, and slowly, I would say like CPG as a whole is starting to digitize a mm-hmm. lot of their processes, especially when it comes to like their supply chain process. You just realize there's just like a massive collection of data that's been sitting there that people really didn't know or do anything about it. So I would say Kraft, um, along with a couple of other kind of large CPG companies, are really, you know, they're starting that process now. I, it's, you know, it's still way early in the adoption process to you know, become digital. But yeah, so Kraft, you know, recently they started digitizing the entire supply chain process, uh, the procurement process, uh, also uh, marketing. And so there's there's a lot of interesting problems that we, we work on uh, currently there. Yeah, and kind of is that kind of your first job out of college? Because you said you went through... Illinois for six years. Were you working beforehand? Were you start out as a data scientist? How was that like? Oh, geez. <laughs> All right. If I, okay. Let me let me kind of break down the entire career process. Um, so you know, it's it's kind of random, but at the central core of it, it's always been analytics and data mm. science or machine learning. So my my first job or my first internship um, in, was actually at a hedge fund. I was at a quant fund um, based in San Francisco. And one of my first project that summer was to gather all these economic data to, in order to, you know, uh, find kind of value or find alpha with or like, you know, what the, they could invest in. Um, after that, I also did an internship and I worked for a year at NASA. Um, this is in between undergrad yep. and grad school. <laughs> so, yeah, I was working at NASA. I was part of uh, a mission, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter mission. So there's a satellite that goes around the moon and it takes a bunch of readings and, and photos. And so I was part of that team um, on the analytics side. So, you know, as they gather the data from the database uh, in the database, I would you know, run some anomaly detection things to clean up the data in order to kind of store it for uh, research scientists for them to use. Um, yeah. And then I went to grad school for six years. And then, <laughs> um, after grad school, um, I, I did a couple of internships actually d- well, during grad school. So I worked at Anheuser Busch, which is you know one of the big biggest large uh, beer company in the world. Um, I was also doing data science there for about two years. Um, really similar problems to what I've done in a craft. Uh, afterwards, I didn't. I feel like I didn't want to be constrained to like one industry, mm-hmm. and so I went into uh, Deloitte Consulting. That's where I met Andrew. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So at Deloitte, I was part of kind of um, the, the marketing uh, team. Um, so we did a lot of analytics um, for also internal for Deloitte and also for some some external clients of, of the, the firm as well. Um, and yeah, I spent about three years at Deloitte and uh, then went to, to Kraft where I've been for about a year. Yeah, so you've been at a lot of like top tier opportunities and companies. How do you think you actually you know, got those opportunities in the first place? Because you mentioned you intern with NASA, you did a hedge fund. I think those are like opportunities everyone would love to have. What do you think made you stand out as like a candidate? Yeah, I mean, I, it's so cliche, but I think it all really comes down to who you know. So for example, my first internship was at a hedge fund, which normally people don't get. Yep. Like usually you have to do like an MBA or you have to be in investment banking. But I got that as my my first thing is because one of the benefactor for Arizona State um, I happen to be his caddy <laughs> uh, golf, golf caddy. and golf. Yeah. So there was like some, some, uh, some nonprofit golf tournament that he was at and mm. I was, uh, 
a part of his his caddy group and you know i got to know him and then i, I kind of pitched him on some stocks and we started talking like economics um and so i was like <laughs> oh you want to come work for me like the you know the summer and so that's how i got started um kind of similar thing with nasa uh nasa one of my close friends uh in high school his dad is a scientist at johnson space center Oh. And so we've, you know, we've been close to the family and he knows like I had like really strong capabilities in, in math and then applied math. And so once that opportunity opens, uh, I was like the first person that he referred to. And so, yeah, it's, it's really you know, just who really who, you know, and Deloitte obviously is um, it's funny because it's through like an ex-girlfriend of mine. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. All right. All right. So, you know, you had a math undergraduate background and then you take computer science machine learning for like your master's and phd is math required <laughs> to be a good data scientist uh, now I, I feel like with the, the amount of technologies is, that we have right now it's not necessarily required mm. um but at the same time i do believe to be a good data scientist you need to know like the the you know what's under the hood so, you know, anybody could spin up any model or like, you know, throw some data sets on, uh, on code a couple of lines in Python to get some insights. But if you don't really know what's been doing in the background, you don't really know, um, you know, whether that model that you've created is you know, useful or not or accurate or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say like less so than, than it is before, because before, geez, it's for example, when I had to run like a model, I had to build write the algorithm from scratch actually what it's doing what it's uh you know what it's trying to optimize and what is the that inputs and outputs but now it's really two lines of code and some of these packages in python <laughs> and so yeah do you think what you learned in college your phd was it really helpful for real life applications of data science or is that a lot of on the job learning you had to do oh absolutely not none of it was helpful at all <laughs> actually um so uh, Okay, I kind of take that back. Uh, some of it is helpful. Um, I would say like the skills that it. So in a PhD program, you're you're really kind of just thrown into the water where you you know you try mm. to find like a like a topic to work on that nobody has worked on before. Okay, and you just kind of try to tackle that yourself. And so that skill is very very useful. But when it comes to the actual, I guess you know theory behind everything, um, I didn't I haven't used any of it because oh. it's just so theoretical where it's. I, I guess and like it's now it's it's funny now that like you know, deep learning is around so you start mm-hmm. to see some of it kind of drifts out but I feel like academia is always like five to ten years ahead of industry in terms of like adoptions or like or practical things. application yeah yeah, oh. yeah so what was your thesis on for your PhD yeah so my thesis so I was uh doing computer vision so my thesis is depth estimation in uh images so say you go out to like Lake Michigan and you take a photo of Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal of the the algorithm I, I was working on was to learn things in the environment to help you estimate that depth. So if it sees like I don't oh. know, like maybe like a tree or something in the, in the lake, I would try to estimate. Oh, trees are usually you know this is a type of tree. It's an oak tree or something, and an oak tree is you know x amount of feet, and you know it's submerged by you know x whatever percentage and so based on certain calculations and ratios we can determine that this lake is you know 12 feet deep or something um and so it's uh, applying to deep learning to uh learn uh essentially depths uh, in images so did you have to feed basically this algorithm slash this machine learning like a lot of data sets on like here are different trees here are different depths like how do you actually do that oh yeah yeah no for, so the the my dissertation i think we've you i collected probably like 
couple hundred thousand images of just like lakes. Um, it's obviously like none of to train, you need to have, you know, it labeled. And so there were, it was just me and a couple of my lab mates going over like tens and thousands of these lake images and you know, looking online, you know, this is Lake Michigan. This is how you know, deep it is. Or this is some you know, Lake Powell in Arizona. This is how deep it is just to get those labels for the machine or uh, algorithm to, to learn from. So yeah, yeah, huge amount of data. And so how does that translate now, you know, being an adjunct professor at Columbia, do you try to bring some practical stuff to how you teach or are you also still teaching more the theoretical side for your students? Yeah, I would say it's kind of half and half. Um, so the, I try to, you know, as somebody that's not, you know, I'm not in academia, obviously, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm at craft. Um, so I'm more towards, you know, teaching people the applications and how to use what they're learning from the textbooks in, in real mm -hmm. life. So a lot of my courses, um, they're really centered around like projects at the end that students have to do that, you know, here's a data set that's you know, extremely hard. Here's some of the problems that we want to answer. Um, you know, use everything in your toolbox to you know, get there. Right? So you, you'll teach them everything in their toolbox. But the important part is how they apply what they've learned um, on that particular data set. Mm. And so do you teach like people in PhD level, master's level? Who's like your target audience for your students? Um, there's there's a couple of PhDs that are more uh, you know wanting to go to industries, but mm -hmm. the the majority of the students uh, I've taught like, two three classes. They're they've been the same ones, um, but it's mostly masters and mm -hmm. uh, like you know, upperclassmen uh, seniors. Gotcha. Yeah. And do you see most of them wanting to continue to be in academia, or do you see them trying to also break out into industry? Yeah, all of them try to break out industry. I've, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, it's 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 weird because it's to pursue like a PhD, you really have to go into it with like the mindset that you want to be like a professor or you want to be an academic mm -hmm. because it's not it's less so about classes, you know. Obviously, it's more so about the research and how passionate you are about the research. So, gotcha, gotcha. do you think that someone can go through like a self taught route to be in data science or be a really good? data analysts without going through formal training in a university? Or do you think there's still a lot of benefit to go through like, you know, Columbia, for example? <laughs> I don't want to brag on <laughs> like the program I'm in or like, you know, universities. But yes, I feel like you can be, I wouldn't say like a data scientist, but you could be mm. a great data analyst just from, you know, learning on yourself. What's the difference between like a data analyst and data scientist, you would say? That's a great question. Um, the line is becoming a little bit more blurred now, but uh, a data scientist, um, sh I would say, should understand like 50% of the, the technical stuff in the background. Okay. A data analyst would understand how to code things up, you know, all the, all the how to apply certain tools or certain models to get insights. Mm -hmm. But this data scientist is the one that understands the technical part of it um, much, much deeper. Gotcha. So the data analyst would be able to kind of make those insights, use the tools to get those insights. Not necessarily know in depth how you know the hood works under the car, right? But the data scientists would need to know those details. Yeah, no, exactly. Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha. Huh. Do you still one day plan to be a, a full time professor since you're already doing adjunct, or is that a dream that has changed over the years? I actually thought about that mm. uh, quite often, and and it's like you know later on, like you know when I'm sixty or something and I retire, <laughs> and it's like you know I, I don't want to go to an office every day or something. It's like yeah, should I should I try to you know, go back to academia? Um, so that has been a thought, but mm. as of now, uh, no, no. What what made you have that dream when you were younger? Like I want to be a professor. 
it's I I just really like teaching, to be honest. I, I mean, the research is, is required and mm. research is also um, like fun in itself. But I, I really enjoy, you know, standing up there and kind of teaching people, uh, you know, what is currently being you know, developed and kind of putting them at the forefront of the you know, what we're doing. So did you really start teaching in undergrad as like a TA? That's how you found your, your passion for teaching or how did that get started? Uh, no, no. Um, I started my first TA was um, when I when I got to my, my PhD program. Mm-hmm. So uh, and yeah, that's how that's actually how I got started. So my I was just. I was hired as a TA, but I was responsible for uh, essentially doing like a lecture section mm-hmm. um, of this st- uh, p- applied stats class where you know I had to stand up there for 45 minutes to, to kind of review and teach them the materials. And I just loved doing that. Like the first day, yeah. I was so nervous. But then like when I started, it's like, well, this is actually really fun and I really enjoy it. And so, oh, okay. And then for your undergrad in math, was that your parents just saying, your Asian take math, how did that get started? Because it wasn't really machine learning or computer science before that, right? Undergrad level. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't. Um, it's actually, so they, they actually wanted me to go into computer science as an undergrad oh, as okay. well. Because my, my dad is a computer scientist. My brother also went uh, undergrad for CS. And so the, you know, the expectation for me to, is to I'll, you know, do CS, <laughs> but um, I guess I was a little bit rebellious. <laughs> you took math as a, as and then, a rebellious and then math instead, <laughs> because I, I realized things like, hey, um, you know, undergrad CS, it's it's great because you you know you learn a lot of things, but it's it's more hands on, so you mm. learn how to code and stuff. But once you get, I always wanted to go to grad school, and I realized you know it doesn't matter if you go to CS or engineering. At the end of the day, research is is based on math. Yeah, and so I wanted to build like a strong foundation of math in order to you know be able to. Go to grad school later on. Yeah, how did you have such clarity to know that you definitely wanted to go to grad school before you even went through your undergrad? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. It's again, it, it just comes from like the like the culture, I guess, that we, we you know find ourselves in. Because my parents always have the expectation that okay, you're gonna go at least to graduate school, get your master's or something. Oh, it's an expectation. Yeah, as an expectation, because they 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 all did it as well, mm. and so they wouldn't kind of you know just let me settle with just like a like a four year uh, so. <laughs> the bare minimum was a grad school <laughs> it wasn't yeah, even undergrad yeah yeah oh, sure. so i mean you've covered a lot of what you do professionally as like a data scientist but as we kind of mentioned at the start you also do fashion photography i think you've also shot for a few of the fashion films like vogue or a few of the magazines before uh yeah so totally a different topic so it's, it's interesting so photography is actually a pretty recent hobby in the grand scheme of things mm. i've only really bought my first camera five years ago so not that recent <laughs> still, still. Uh, recent in the grand scheme of things, yeah. right but within that five years um looking back i'm just so surprised like oh five years ago i bought my first camera and then you know just you know before COVID hits you know i was in paris fashion week or i you know shot an editorial for l it's like how did that happen like so quickly um and so, yeah, it's it started uh, as a hobby, but now it's almost like a second career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also something I'm like really, really passionate about. Um, it's it's interesting because it has it's just so different from what I do uh, full time. Like it's so different from like the math and the data science. Yeah, stuff. yeah. V- very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do you even get started with photography like five years ago? Yeah, it's actually owed to my ex. Um, she encouraged me to get a camera because we were going to like all these like national parks mm-hmm. and I was always you know, taking photos on my phone. Um, and so, um, you know, 
she basically uh, encouraged me to get uh, a camera. So I, I got my first camera and I, I just remember the first uh, six months of the year when I got it. All I, I took a p photos like every single day. Like I literally had the camera with me like everywhere. Um, just like for really monotonous stuff, like little flowers or, whatever, <laughs> or like trees and stuff. But yeah, um, and I don't know. It, it just like really sparks uh, like a passion in me because I've never would consider myself to be like a creative person. Yeah. You're a um, math guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so um, it just kind of opened up like this whole new world to me. But, you know, that's just kind of photography in general. I, I knew nothing about fashion or mm. let alone what is fashion photography. Um, and which kind of promised me. So after you know, that, the girl that got me into photography, um, we broke up. <laughs> and so I dated another girl um, and she was a model at mm -hmm. the time. And you know, she saw me with, you know, with my camera stuff and I was taking photos of kind of random things. She's like, oh, why don't you like, kind of take photos of me so I could use for my book? Yeah. And so, okay, you know, I, I tried it and then I just you know, turned out I, I loved it as well. As well. And, um, you know, she had like a lot of kind of friends who were also in the fashion industry who were mm -hmm. also models. And so, you know, I would take photos and stuff for them. Um, and then kind of slowly I would, you know, learn from them actually um like you know how their shoot went you know what are some other like actual fashion photographers what they do mm -hmm. um and yeah that's how i really kind of got my my foot in, in fashion photography yeah so uh, how, how long have you done specifically fashion photography out uh, of your five years of shooting photos yeah i would say five years of shooting photos the first year or so i didn't shoot any people i just shot like mm -hmm. uh like landscape um and then the second year I started photography, I started, you know, shooting more people with like simple portraits. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I would say like my first quote unquote fashion uh, was job was like three years ago. So yeah. that's the first job that a client paid me to shoot like their mm. their design. So. so everything at the start was just self-taught, right? Like you didn't go for a class or you just shot so many photos, you develop a sense and then, then you continue to learn. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really just all self thought. Um, I mean, I also I would eh, I would say like I also learn a lot based on the people that I know. Mm. So I would you know reach out to some photographers uh, to see if I could assist them. Um, I assisted on a, a couple of them on, on a couple of shoots, and that really taught me like you no know, studio lighting and everything. Yeah. Um, I also really really studied their their work. So I would I have like tons of books uh like for fashion photography and like um. It's, it's almost like back in school where I, I would just put down a book and just spend like hours just studying each photo. Oh, how did they get this lighting? What is the composition like? You know, what particular film did they use? Uh, and how did they develop it? And so on. And um, yeah, it's I would say 90% of it is self-taught and 10% of it is me shadowing these professional photographers as mm. they're working. Yeah. And you mentioned you, you know, you shot at the Paris fashion, Milan fashion show. Which one was it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I actually been to all the uh, all mm -hmm. the major fashion weeks. Um, I would, so I've been hired to do kind of backstage um, before. Um, other times, it's just more of, for like reporting for the, what's you know, trends coming out for certain magazines. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So how do you even get that off? So it sounds like you know that model ex girlfriend as well, or the girlfriend, the girl you dated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Actually introduced you to this world of like you know, fashion photography. How do you then? leverage that and ended up shooting at fashion week because that sounds like a huge jump right like suddenly you're shooting at all these really fancy events yeah i get it I, it really goes back to really who you know mm -hmm. um 
so I was really fortunate where, you know, through her and through some of her friends, um, I met a lot of you know, great people in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're you know either casting agents or they're creative directors, um, and I would just you know ask them or like uh, shadow them or like uh, just, you know, try to pitch my work to them <laughs> as, as much <laughs> as possible. Um, and I, I would say it's it's just really kind of based on luck too, because. Uh, one of my first magazine um, that I've did, my first uh, print editorial was for uh, Le Ficiel. Um And that only came about uh, because the girl um, that I shot with had one of my photos in her book. And she went to this casting for that editorial and the director really liked that photo. And mm. he's like, oh, who's the, that guy that you know, shot this for you? Mm. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's John Kim or whatever. And she gave him my contact. And then, you know, he reached out to me. He's like, oh, hey, wow. um, you know, we want you to shoot like uh, an editorial for us. Uh, you know, two months uh, from now, can you do it? And so I would say, yeah, it's it's really word of mouth. It's a very close knit industry. It's it's hard to kind of get your foot in the door unless mm-hmm. you know somebody or you have somebody that's kind of pushing for you so i guess your skills might have spoke for themselves then <laughs> right but i wouldn't you know if she hadn't introduced me i would not have you know, gotten that job or that opportunity um and as you get more opportunity like you know your name gets mm-hmm. out there you know you work with more people and you know you just end up getting more bookings so yeah so when working with models what's that like with like the whole setup, right? Do you work with a team to do the makeup? Do you work with the lightings? Do you set everything up yourself? What's that process like? Yeah, it, d- it depends on the job. Um, and so, so in fashion, I feel like everybody, every fashion photographer starts out doing test shoots for some of the modeling agencies. Mm. So these will be like new girls that are just entering the industry and they need like photos in their books in order to you know, go book jobs and stuff. Um, so. For those, I really like to keep it personal. Um, so it's uh, like usually like a one man show. It's just me, the model. Mm. I set up everything in my studio or if we go outdoors, I plan everything out. I also like to style them or tell them what to bring. Um, however, when it comes to, you know, bigger job, obviously you, you need like a, a team behind you. And that's one of also like the, the fun things about uh, fashion photography is that you are not the only creative person. So if I shoot an editorial, you know, we have a stylist, mm-hmm. we have a makeup artist, uh, a hairstylist, um, sometimes a set designer, um, and each person contributes their own creativity to the, the, the shoot. Um, and so I, I love that collaboration aspect of, of it as well. So, And then working with models, is it, I mean, some people might have like the stereotype like, oh, models are really cool because they're models. Like, what's that working experience working with them? I would say like for the most part, they're all really down to earth. <laughs> so you you can't really get far in this industry if you act you know, a, a certain way. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have to kind of you know, like nobody work likes working with somebody who's mean or who's somebody who's a bully. <laughs> right. And so the, the girls that, you know, ends up being the most successful, they're the easiest one to, to work with. They're the one that have like charisma, they're, mm. they're, they're happy, you know, they're, they're fun on set. So, yeah, uh, I I wouldn't say I've, I've ran to one girl who's uh, kind of have this, like an, an attitude problem, mm-hmm. but that's, that's very, very rare. You know? mm-hmm. I haven't seen it really. And so what's kind of, I guess, the lifespan of career of like someone in modeling? Is it after 30, they transition to something else or can they continue to model for the rest of their lives? Uh, yeah. So 
most most of the time um they get signed like very young mm-hmm. like when they're 15 16 and they you know they be, go through one or two years uh, to develop their book um to get experience um i would say they really hit their strides uh like when they're 18 to like you know early 20s but yeah it the, the industry is changing a little bit now when mm-hmm. we have you know more uh you know, different types of models but yeah, for the most part, if you, you know do fashion or high fashion, it's around 25, 26 mm-hmm. um, is usually they, they end up pursuing something else or they go back to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. So can you kind of define what high fashion is? I mean, when I work at runway, a lot of the outfits that people wear, I don't think people wear it from a day to day. So how would you define what high fashion or fashion photography is all about? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a huge field, right? So you have like commercial mm-hmm. uh you know, photography and you no, know, that's the stuff that you would see at like Sears or uh, Target. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, high fashion is what you, exactly what you said. What you see in the runway, it's it's more of like statement pieces that are meant to be art than you know sometimes functional. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the uh, the difference. And fashion photography spans the entire spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I and you you're not necessarily. Um, put into any niche so i've okay. done commercial jobs i've also done editorials where it's like really really out there as well so can you kind of share some experience working on like the high fashion type of shoot what's that like like what was the concept they were trying to do was the editorial hiring you to say like hey this is our spring high fashion concept can you kind of share one of those experiences yeah yeah i could walk you through like um what a typical editorial so editorials are you know um shoots for magazines Mm-hmm. And they tend to be the most open mm-hmm. to uh, you know, your your input and your creativity. Um, sometimes we would have like a creative director, but most of the time it's it's your idea. And the photographer's what, idea. The photographer oh. or the the stylist or the team's idea. Mm. And so, for example, my last editorial, uh, I shot it for uh, for L uh, Arabia. Um, the the editor just told me, "Hey, we want to shoot something that's really flowery uh, okay. for uh, or July." So, you know, have that idea. I you know, instantly kind of have people in mind who I you know feel like that's a good fit, mm-hmm. and so I you know, pull together a team of like a stylist, a, a makeup artist, and, and a hairstylist, and we all just kind of you know, got into like a, a conference call and just kind of really work out the shoot. It's like, oh, you know, we want it in to be in this particular location, or we want the girl to be this certain, you know, have certain type of features. Um, and we really, from there, just kind of plan to shoot out um, mm. like every from every single detail, from like you know what she's like the, the outfit that she has to like, how do I want to set up the lighting or how her hair should be for uh, you know each of these looks. So yeah, it's it's really really kind of open for for you to mm. put that idea together yourself. Gotcha. So what do you think makes like a, a good photographer? Is it like fashion sense, primarily? Is it just like your framing, color choice? Uh yeah, I, I, so as a fashion photographer, you should definitely understand fashion. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you you don't necessarily have to n- you know know as much as a designer or a stylist, mm-hmm. but you should understand you know what are the current trends uh, that's that's going on, um, and you know how to kind of best capture that in, in your work. Um, yeah, so I, I would say that really separates like the really good fashion photographers than the the person that is like more of, of an amateur. When you say trends, like especially for high fashion, because it's so concept driven, is there actually trends for certain concepts that are in quote unquote vogue right now? Uh yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you know, the 
clothing change every season, right? So we have like two, uh, fall, uh, fall uh, winter, spring, summer, right? So these trends changes. Um, in a way, every time the trend changes, the photography also tra- uh, changes. So for example, uh, right now, a lot of people are going back to like 90s aesthetics oh, or like okay. early 2000s aesthetics with like a simple point and shoot camera. Um, before then, a couple of years ago, it was like all film, right? So everybody was you know shooting on medium format film. Uh, and then you know, before that, in like the, the early 2000s, it was like more of like the clean, uh, the, the Marchelier, like the really kind of clean, simple uh, style. So it, it, photography, just like uh, the fashion itself, goes through like phases. And as a photographer, you need to kind of be aware of that trend not necessarily follow it, but just kind of make sure mm. that you're, you know, you're picking up on it. How, how do these fashion trends develop? Is it like one really famous model is like doing this unique style and everyone tries to follow or how do, how do those get developed? Uh, I would say the, the main gatekeepers are the, the editors of some of these magazines and because they're the ones that are, are critiquing the designers, right? So it, it, the birth of trends starts at the designer because they're the, the ones that are developing the clothing from the you know based on their inspiration. But you know whether something takes off or whether something appears mm. in the magazine or is it's just based on these editors or these creative directors. Yeah. Do you do you kind of see your experience as a data scientist at Math helping you in fashion photography? Uh, actually, I've thought about that, and I would say yes, actually, because. When it comes to shooting, it's it's really weird because you realize that you know, I'm I'm using a certain focal length, or I'm using at a like I'm shooting at a certain angle, and like why am I doing that? And then you know, being the nerd that I am, I, I kind of collect data on that. So there's like, <laughs> you know, there's data on that, right? Like, why am I always using this focal length, or why am I always hmm. you know having this setting sort of like my light? Um, and and I feel like being a like a data scientist, it, it forces you to think a little bit outside the box. Um, to fit certain problems Mm -hmm. Uh, for example if i'm solving a problem in marketing i know like what are the the models that i should start looking at with or what are some of the the things i should uh, try to answer Mm -hmm. versus a problem in like procurement or in logistics Um, same thing when it comes to fashion so when i like if i know like oh this is like a more commercial shoot all right this is how i want to shoot it this is what i have like the the type of lighting i want to set up this is the type of mood i want to create Versus like an editorial shoot, who's like more creative, or like I, I want to shoot film, I want to do this and that, and so you you really kind of know what you need to do, depending on the type of problems or depending on the type of shoots that you know, comes up. Hmm. And on the flip side, do you see what you've done in fashion photography helping you out in data science? Like any creative the creativity like flowing over? <laughs> uh, not yet. <laughs> um, it's. Like I said, they're just so different. It's, I mean, yeah, being a data scientist has helped me uh, you know, pursue, uh, in some ways in, in fashion, but I'd, I haven't really thought of how fashion like would affect how I do data science yet. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there is a link. It just like takes time or it's like not as obvious, but then, you know, you, you're, you're one person. And so it, it eventually it will become obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. And so what's kind of the, the hope to do with fashion photography do you hope to one day you know have a i don't know what's the end product for fashion photography or the pinnacle of fashion photography 
So what's kind of your long-term goals, I guess, in, in fashion photography? Yeah, that's a good question because I always, I always set a goal for myself. Mm. But then when I get it, I set something higher and yeah. it's just like never ending. Right. So when I first started, it's like my my goal is like, oh, I want to get paid. I just want to <laughs> get like my first paid shoot. And like, oh, now I'm like, I'm done. And then oh, I got my first paid shoot. And then it's like, oh, well, I want to shoot for a magazine. And then, OK, I got that. And then it's like, oh, well, now I want to like, you know, go to a fashion week and do like, OK. <laughs> and then, oh, I want to you know, open up my own studio. That's always been kind of like the big goal. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I did that you know, uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And, and so now I'm just like, well, what's what's next? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I probably gonna you know, end up setting another goal for me to reach. And mm-hmm. so I, don't, I never see it being ending or mm-hmm. end anytime soon. Why, why do you think you you have this? I guess, drive to always improve and set higher goals. Is this from, again, your parents who said masters is the bare minimum? Or how do you think, you know, you have this drive to to succeed and to improve? It's, I would say, I don't, yeah, I, I guess in a way it's like parents because my parents um, really instilled in me to always be humble and never really be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, the one thing they always tell me is like, you know, you're good, mm-hmm. But there's all, all you know, always somebody that's like better, better than you, <laughs> right? Um, and so that has really been like a drive for me. It's like okay, mm. yeah, it's like I've I've achieved this, but then no, there's this other person who's like up here, and mm. like no, let's work to get up to their level, right? And it's a continuous process, really. Uh, in a way, it's it's nice because it, no, it always kind of pushes you forward and forces mm. you to stay humble. So I, I wouldn't say that it's a bad thing, but. Um, I could see that how you know it, it causes extra stress in your life where you mm. feel like you know I'm never gonna be enough or like I'm always gonna be you know mm. pushing myself. So are those like thoughts that that go through your head about like hey am I ever good enough or you kind of have a more healthy approach where hey I'm happy I got this goal I'll look for another one and keep driving. Um, I would say that the former actually. Mm. There's certain times where especially when you get rejected or something yeah. like if I submit like for an editorial. And they rejected it because oh, you know, we don't like your photos or whatever. And I sit there and I, you know, I, I become you know like a little bit angry and frustrated with myself. Mm. But then I have to remind myself like, hey, this is not like my full time job. Like, why am I so you know worked up over something like a rejection like this? Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's how it could kind of get frustrating and, and gets on you. Um. Mm. Sometimes. And then so how how do you balance? That? I know you've kind of mentioned the logical approach where you say it's not your full time job, but have there been times where you feel like oh, it's it's getting to me and how do you actually balance that uh so i'm, I'm always like super stubborn <laughs> so <laughs> if something always like that that doesn't happen mm. and work out i you know i always you know, first look into myself it's like what did i did wrong mm. like um was i not clear on this idea or i could have done better on the lighting or, or whatever um and so i would always try to you know, make sure that thing succeeds mm. um and there are there has been cases where like I've gotten rejected like three to four times oh, wow. where it took like a year for something to be published. But in the end, it still got published. Right. And so um, and as you know, as you get rejected, as you you know resubmit or as you kind of build on these failures, you become a little bit more numb to it. And so it, it, it doesn't work you up as much as it did in, in the beginning. Gotcha. And then you have like these successes where you might have. Know, token like a lot more time maybe you failed twice or twice but you eventually got it so it becomes like hey i did manage to get it in the end so yeah that proves it to yourself <laughs> yeah yeah interesting okay and 
I guess outside of like, you know, fashion photography and your full-time job, is there anything else that you do in your spare time? I know that's a lot already, so. Uh, yeah, so I, I have a couple of business endeavors that I do um, outside of my full-time job and, and fashion as well. Um, so right now I'm focusing on building a startup with one of my one of my best friends in college. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that takes a significant t- amount of time out of my weekend. Um, so I, I try to spend at least twenty hours. Um, oh wow! <laughs> because you know, and in, in, in the beginning stages of the startup is when it's the hardest, right? Because we you have to build your MVP and you you have to kind of really uh, put your ideas down uh, into something concrete. And there's also you know, raising money um, a- as well. And so um, yeah, it's. It was kind of the same thing with uh, photography. I feel like, like in the beginning, like I had to do like a lot of hustling. Um, mm. But you know, later on, as you, you, you know, improve and become better, it's, it's you know you, you tend to have a little bit more time. So, so how did you also get started with like the startup thing? Was it your friend who reached out, or was it something you guys worked on together? Uh, yeah, it was actually like uh, my friend's idea. Um, he he always had like this idea of you know building something to enable organizations to better understand their workforces and their employees. Um, you know, the future of work is such a, a like a buzzword, buzzword <laughs> right now, but it's actually happening, mm. right? It's, it's, it's literally here and COVID really expedite that, right? So mm. people are working remotely. Um, there's like a huge gig economy and there wasn't before. And so you know, these organizations need to, you know, kind of change the way they, they enable their, their employees to, to be productive. Um, so he, he always kind of had this idea to build something that you know, solved those, some of those problems. Um, so he came to me because, uh, he knew that, you know, I, I love data. Um, and you know, there's a vast amount of data that's available out there now, um, that organizations are collecting about their employees. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really how it got started. Yeah. So how's that progressing right now? You mentioned about like funding or, you know, getting the idea of the MVP. Kind of which stage are you at with the startup? Yeah. So we're actually in the stage where uh, we're building the MVP right now. So we hired our first developer. We also, <laughs> <laughs> um, it so took a lot of uh, the, the, the burden off my shoulders as well. Um, so we, we hired like a really talented developer. We're working the MVP right now. We're also in talks to, to get our first round of seed funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this is the stage where, you know, things are kind of really ramping up and you, know, the, you have to kind of burn the extra, the, the extra mile to, to start. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you're still active also with your full-time job, of course, and also fashion photography. How do you balance all of the stuff you're doing? Uh, really good time management. <laughs> so um, I also teach at Columbia, um, like every yes, other, of course. every, every <laughs> four, semester. Four things. Um, so obviously, you know, you have to prioritize and, and manage your time, mm. right? So my, my full time job is is my priority, um, and my 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 teaching is also my priority. Um, and so those are, are the schedules are usually set, right? Mm-hmm. So I know the exact time that I could, you know, I need to be in class, or I know the exact time that I have to, you know, sh- you know, go to a meeting or go to work. Um, so yeah, prioritizing what you're you're kind of passionate about, what you need to do, and second thing is just to make sure that you you manage your time well. I a lot of people complain that there's not enough time in a day, but 24 hours is a lot of time <laughs> if you utilize it uh, well, right? And um, so I, I'm also fortunate that I don't require a lot of sleep. Um, so I usually <laughs> function really well on you know, four or five hours of sleep. Um, so no, that you know, extra time during the day to get up early and, and start working. Um, so yeah, 
lucky physiologically as well, I guess. Yeah, but even if even if you're just sleeping just four to five hours, it's still a lot you're doing, right? You're juggling four pretty big things: your full time job, teaching, fashion photography, and a startup. Like most people can basically just do, I guess, the startup and your full time job, and it's a lot of work already. So, what I guess advice or tips and tricks do you have to really do proper time management? Uh, stop playing video games <laughs> I, I i used to be such a huge gamer mm-hmm. kind of growing up but then i just realized how much time i was spending you know uh, in this virtual world or like uh, um and so and another thing is like i would i would say like you know ph- photography yeah i make money from it and some and technically is work but i don't really consider it work mm. i still consider every time i pick up a camera or every time i'm in my studio editing or something or like even like you know taking meetings about like a shooter i, I still consider that like uh, you know, me spending time yeah. in my hobby right um like using my creative side um and so yeah just like make sure your, your time is really well spent that you know you you have enough time for, you know obviously for like to sleep to exercise mm-hmm. but uh you know there's just so many distractions out there like video games or netflix and i feel like people are unaware of how much time they're spending on Mm. on certain distractions. So it's almost all your time either on one of these four things. And so you don't really spend much time, I guess, Netflixing or playing video games anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I still love video games. Don't get me wrong, but I have no time. And so sometimes I would work and I would watch a streamer play video games. Right. So you can multitask. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or just, you know, it's like, Oh, it's me playing or I I get the story of like the game and stuff from that. And so, it's yeah but at the same time i still i can be productive so yeah interesting how do you how do you multitask because a lot of people say like you know multitasking just means that you're splitting attention you can't really focus especially if that's you're doing photo editing or something don't you need a lot of attention to be on the thing that you're doing instead uh it depends on the task like Mm. you said Uh, if it comes to like photo editing or if i have to like code Mm. um then yeah i definitely cannot do that then i I usually set out like you know blocks or like two or three hours where it's like, oh, in this two or three hours, I'm going to just only edit or only code. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's times where you're like, you know, you're in a meeting and <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not really contributing. And so there's nothing wrong with having YouTube open. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get to that realization and say, hey, my time is precious. I'm not going to waste any more time on non-productive activities. Was it just one day you woke up and be like, I'm going to be a productive person today. I'm just going to do all these productive things. Or was it more so the passion you have for all these activities that you just started to realize, why am I not spending more time on these passions? Yeah, I would say that the latter point, your, your, your passion changes, right? So I, you know, like I said, I used to be a huge gamer. I would mm-hmm. just play like eight hours uh, straight. Um, but then you just realized one day that this is not really fun anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm being, I don't know, I guess I was a rager, but it's like, it's just like stressing me out way too much. Or like, why do I care that somebody, you know, shot me <laughs> or like my KDA is horrible. You know, why, why does that matter uh, in the grand scheme of things? And so I just kind of came to that realization where it's like, you know, it's, it's not really adding value to mm. my life and what I want to do. And so, but you know, at the same time, entertainment is important. Yeah. So um, you, you, you can, you know, entertain yourself and have fun while you know making sure you have enough time to mm. pursue other things in your life that matters more yeah so like you said like fashion photography to you it's not really work it's like your hobby it's de-stressing you don't actually get too stressed doing all your hobbies i assume 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, sometimes it, it, it can be work because yeah. it's, you realize, you know, you're getting, you're, you have to shoot stuff that you don't really care about. Mm-hmm. So it, it can be a, a burdensome, but I try to really limit those. Um, yeah. Wow. So basically, uh, your de-stressing things are all the, it falls in one of the four buckets. It's either your fashion photography or your business, etc. So that's how you balance like doing all these productive things while not still burning out, I guess. Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, teaching in itself, I don't really consider it work as well mm. because it's, you know, you're, you're saying up there, you're, you're communicating with students um, and in, in a way it's like you're, you're learning also. And so that's, that's also fun. I, it's almost like socialization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm socializing with my students. So, yeah. yeah. So I guess what, what are some of the takeaways? You've done so many varied activities, right? Creative stuff, math, data, science stuff, right? Starting your own business. What's kind of your main takeaways from all these different experiences so far? I would say the, the main takeaway is that never limit yourself to like one particular thing. Because I see people do that all the time where you know, they let their career define who they are. And so they don't really pursue anything outside of that. Um, yeah, you, you shouldn't do that. You should pursue uh, as much things as you, you know, possibly uh, you know, fit or possibly can. And, you know, you don't have to become a professional about it. But, you know, you could be like a software developer and also like a like a guitarist in a band mm. that's you know, being a software developer does not define who you are. Yeah. So, yeah, I would encourage people to, you know, try, try pursuing other things um, and, you know, just don't let one thing that you're doing define who you are as a person. Yeah. Do you do most of the people you hang out with are kind of like you where they're multifaceted, multi-talented? Uh, There's there several. I would say now, because the fact that we are in this current environment that we are, that people have more time to be like, because they're at home, um, they're pursuing other hobbies that they normally don't have time for, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I, I see a lot of my friends doing that more, especially when it comes to like creativity. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, one of my friend is similar cases to me, like very technical guy in yeah. software. And he just, you know, he started learning the guitar and then he became really good at it um, oh. because, you know, he had all this time to practice at home. Right. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a great thing to see. Um, yeah. So I think you've kind of answered one of my questions I was going to ask about what's one of the best pieces of advice you have received? Uh, that I have received. I would think, yeah, I would say go back to my parents. Right? My, mm. my, my parents have always told me that, you know, if you're going to try something, uh, Try your best to, to be you know, the best that you can at it. Um, you know, if you succeed and you you make money, you become professional, and that's great. If not, then you know you 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 still gave it your all. And so that's the the mentality I take into every single one of like the the endeavors or the things that I do. So if I'm gonna teach, I want to you know do the best as I can. You know, really spend time doing that. If I want to pursue photography, you know, I want to set high goals and you know work to to achieve those. Um, so yeah. Just, always kind of put the passion that you have into everything that you do. Mm. Your parents, I guess, were typical Asian tiger parents then? <laughs> uh, yeah, for the most part. <laughs> um, they, they've, they've softened up uh, a little bit um, when it comes to my brother. But uh, as the oldest, yeah, uh, growing up. But yeah, they weren't really mean or anything. And I, I, no, I have a great relationship with my parents. But you know, they, they were frustrating when, when I was a kid. But now that like as I you know older I'm looking back, no, I really appreciate how how mm. they kind of instilled this this work ethic in, in me. Yeah. Were you frustrated because they were like pushing you to always be better? Or what was the frustration coming from? 
Yeah, I would say it's that. It's just like, you know, it's like, oh, we feel like you don't put enough effort into this or we feel like, you know, you could have done more. And so it's like, well, you know, I did my best, whatever. But then like looking back, it's like, yeah, I could have done more. I mean, like, no, I, I sneak out, play video games or yeah. I sneak out, hang out with friends and stuff. And, you know, they, they're, they're OK with that. Yeah. So yeah. they weren't that strict, but you no, know, they, they were pretty strict. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious because I know, you know a lot of times with now modern parenting, people said, oh, you should be kinder. You shouldn't put so much expectations on your kid. But it sounds like for you, some expectations were still very helpful in, in helping to push you and help you grow. Yeah, yeah. And no, by expectations, no, they, they didn't set like super lofty goals that were like, no, unachievable or, or anything. And I'm also fortunate that they they don't really compare me to anybody else. Oh, okay. They compare me to Yourself. like myself. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ah, so that, that that is the difference because they were saying, look at your cousin or look at someone oh, else, no. and like they're doing so good, you should do as well. It's more like, hey, I feel like you personally could have done better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I guess that's the nuance for parenting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then on the flip side, uh, what was one of the worst pieces of advice that you've received? Oh, one of the worst pieces of advice. Uh, pursue medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who, who gave you that piece of advice? <laughs> uh, so it's like my my dad. You know, it's I would say there was there was a point where it's like I was you know taking all these bio classes, but mm-hmm. then I was just like I, w- I went up to him and I talk. It's like dad, I feel like I can't pursue medicine. If I pursue, I can't I'll take have another be responsible <laughs> for somebody's life in my head. You, you know, if I if I solve an equation and I can't solve it, that's fine. I could give up. But I can't be in the operating room and like, duh, I give up, you know. <laughs> so. Wait, was did your, did your dad just have that traditional dream of having like a, a doctor son? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's not. I wouldn't say it's it's like for the money or the prestige or anything. It's more so it's like they they actually want me to like help others. Um, oh, okay. so that was their their thing. Um, but like, yeah, dad, it's like I'm barely responsible for myself, <laughs> uh, let alone like another like person. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, you know, you mentioned you're working on, you know, the startup, fashion photography. So is what are your main focuses now? Besides, of course, your full-time work. Is it mainly now the, the startup since it seems to be ramping up? Yeah, so I, I would say I, I've i scaled down a little bit on the, the fashion photography. And, you know, because of COVID, there's mm-hmm. like less jobs and there's less things going on. Um, so I've scaled that down quite a bit so I could focus on, on the startups that I'm, I'm having. Gotcha. What's yeah. the timeline looking that for? Do you want to... Have the MVP done in a year, get your first client in a year and a half. What's what's looking like for the startup? Oh, yeah, the, we're actually, like I said, we're on the stage where it's like everything's just happening so quickly. Mm-hmm. The, the the goal is to to get our, our first round of seed money by this year. Okay. Um, and there are, you know, at the same time, finish our MVP and get our first customer or our first client this year as well. Mm. How, how does that development cycle look like? Because you say you hire your first developer. Is one developer enough just for at least the MVP stage? Do you foresee building like a whole crack team of developers? <laughs> um, that's a good question. Because at like, yeah, I, 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 as somebody who's been in data science yeah. for, for a long time, you know, I've also had the opportunity to manage people, but I, I really enjoy being hands on. Okay. And so I, I don't foresee us hiring more developers unless we really necessarily need it because um, I also like to you know code. And, uh, you know, so you're and, still part of the development process as well. Right, right. And I guess because you yourself a developer, you know what a good developer looks like. I've seen, you know, startups where the founders are very business focused and operations focused. And when they need like a developer to help them 
code the solution, they can't really tell. But for you, it seems like that process was much more easier to get your current developer, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I I also just feel like um, you know, founders who are you know, closer to their the product or the MVP itself or like understands you know, not just like the, the idea, mm-hmm. but also like the, the backbone of the idea. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's important. And I guess last question I have is if you could send a message to everyone this world and it just appeared in their head, kind of like Professor X sending a telepathy <laughs> message, what would that message be? My message for everybody. Um, manage your time well, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but it's like you you have, you know, we it's existentialist, but like, we you know, we're all on this planet for like an X amount of time, right? Mm. And so you should try to spend that no, really well with people you love or improving yourself or in pursuing things that makes you happy. And so in terms of managing your time, you think you know everyone should just find what it means for them or do you think that there's a certain way of living life? Because what if someone says, hey, I just really like to play Doom Eternal or play like Call of Duty and that that's managing my time well. Do you think that's actually okay? Or do you think like, hey, maybe they're yeah, maybe avoiding something? I mean... You know, if you're if you're a pro gamer, obviously that's okay. But um, if you're just doing it just for the sake of passing time, which I think most people are doing, mm. um, that's yeah. You know, we we all get bored, right? Um, and so you know, we all go on our phone, we go on TikTok, we play games or whatever. But just know that you know that that adds up. Mm. Um, so yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I really appreciate today's conversation, John. I think we've covered a lot of different industries from fashion to data science and even like business and startups is there anything else uh, you'd like to share i think i'll definitely share the links to your portfolio your instagram or anything else you want to shout out on what you're working on right now uh no i really appreciate you taking your time and interviewing me um and you know like my 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 fashion photography work is out there and so you know if you ever need like a like a professional portrait done i can shoot uh portraits or headshots as well so <laughs> all right sounds good uh, thanks again john all right, thanks, Andrew. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of As Asians. I have been your host, Andrew Tan, and I hope you learned something from today's episode. If you or someone you know would like to be part of the show, please contact us at asasianspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a like or a review on your preferred podcast platform, and I hope you had an amazing time with us today.